0: This is the Internet Multicasting Service. Harper Audio presents excerpts from Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula, read by British actor David McCallum. This excerpt introduces a listener to Dracula's grim castle and to the bloodthirsty Count himself. It was on the
1: dark side of twilight when the train got to Vistritz, which is a very interesting old place. Count Dracula had directed me to go to the Golden Kroner Hotel, which I found to my great delight to be thoroughly old-fashioned, for of course I wanted to see all I could of the ways of the country. I was evidently expected, for when I got near the door, I faced a cheery-looking elderly woman in the usual peasant dress, white undergarment with long double apron front and back, of colored stuff fitting almost too tight for modesty. When I came close, she bowed and said, The hair Englishman? Yes, I said, Jonathan Harker. She smiled and gave some message to an elderly man in white shirt sleeves who had followed her to the door. He went, but immediately returned with a letter. My friend, welcome to the Carcassians. I am anxiously expecting you... Sleep well tonight. At three tomorrow the diligence will start for Bukovina, a place on it is kept for you. At the Borgo Pass my carriage will await you and bring you to me. I trust that your journey from London has been a happy one, and that you will enjoy your stay in my beautiful land. Your friend Dracula. When I asked my landlord if he knew Count Dracula and could tell me anything of his castle, both he and his wife crossed themselves and, saying that they knew nothing at all, simply refused to speak further. Then his wife rose and, taking a crucifix from her neck, offered it to me. For your mother's sake, she said, and went out of the room. Here comes the coach. When I got on the coach, the driver had not taken his seat, and I saw him talking with the landlady. They were evidently talking of me. I caught some of their words. ordog, Satan. Pokol, Hell. Strigoyka, Witch. Vrolok and Vkoslak, both of which mean the same thing, one being Slovak and the other Serbian for something that is either werewolf or vampire. I must ask the Count about these superstitions. One by one, several of the passengers offered me gifts, which they pressed upon me with an earnestness which would take no denial. These were certainly of an odd and varied kind, but each was given in simple good faith, with a kindly word and a blessing, and that strange mixture of fear-meaning movements which I had seen outside the hotel at Bistritz, the, the sign of the cross. Then the horses began to neigh and snort and plunge wildly so that the driver had to hold them up, and amongst a chorus of screams from the peasants and a universal crossing of themselves, a caleche with four horses drove up behind us. "'overtook us and drew up beside the coach. "'I could see from the flash of our lamps as the rays fell on them "'that the horses were cold black and splendid animals. "'They were driven by a tall man with a long brown beard and a great black hat "'which seemed to hide his face from us. "'I could only see the gleam of a pair of very bright eyes "'which seemed red in the lamplight as he turned to us. "'He said to the driver, "'Give me the hare's luggage!' and with exceeding alacrity my bags were handed out and put in the calèche. Then I descended from the side of the coach as the calèche was close alongside, the driver helping me with a hand which caught my arm in a grip of steel. His strength must have been prodigious. Without a word he shook his reins, the horses turned, and we swept into the darkness of the pass. Then a dog began to howl somewhere in a farmhouse far down the road, a long agonized wailing as if from fear. The sound was taken up by another dog, and then another, and another, till, borne on the wind which now sighed softly through the pass, a wild howling of wolves began, which seemed to come from all over the country. The howling ceased as quickly as it began, and I became conscious of the fact that the driver was in the act of pulling up the horses in the courtyard of a vast, ruined castle, from whose tall black windows came no ray of light, and whose broken battlements showed a jagged line against the moonlit sky. When the calèche stopped, the driver jumped down and held out his hand to assist me to alight. Then he took out my traps and placed them on the ground beside me as I stood close to a great door, old and studded with large iron nails, and set in a projecting doorway of massive stone. I could see, even in the dim light, that the stone was massively carved, but that the carving had been much worn by time and weather. As I stood, the driver jumped again into his seat and shook the reins. The horses started forward and the trap and all disappeared down one of the dark openings. I heard a heavy step approaching me behind the great door and saw through the chinks the gleam of a coming light. Then there was the sound of rattling chains and the clanking of massive bolts drawn back. A key was turned with the loud grating noise of long disuse and the great door swung back. Within stood a tall old man, clean-shaven save for a long white moustache, and clad in black from head to foot, without a single speck of colour about him anywhere. He held in his hand an antique silver lamp in which the flame burned without chimney or globe of any kind, throwing long, quivering shadows as it flickered in the draught of the open door. The old man motioned me in with his right hand, with a courtly gesture, saying in excellent English, but with a strange intonation, "'Welcome to my house. Enter freely of your own will.' He made no motion of stepping to meet me, but stood like a statue, as though his gesture of welcome had fixed him into stone. The instant, however, that I had stepped over the threshold, he moved impossibly forward, and holding out his hand, grasped mine with a strength which made me wince, an effect which was not lessened by the fact that it seemed as cold as ice.' More like the hand of a a dead man than a living man. Again he said, Welcome to my house. Come freely, go safely, and leave something of the happiness you bring. The strength of the handshake was so much akin to that which I had noticed in the driver, whose face I had not seen, that for a moment I doubted if it were not the same person to whom I was speaking. To make sure I said interrogatively, Count Dracula? He bowed in a courtly way as he replied, ''I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome, Mr. Harker, to my house. Come in. The night air is chill, and you must need to eat and rest.'' As he was speaking, he put the lamp on a bracket on the wall, and, stepping out, took my luggage. He had carried it in before I could forestall him. I protested, but he insisted, ''Nay, sir.'' You are my guest. It is late, and my people are not available. Let me see to your comfort myself. He insisted on carrying my traps along the passage, and then up a great winding stair and along another great passage, on whose stone floor our steps rang heavily. At the end of this he threw open a heavy door, and I rejoiced to see within a well-lit room, in which a table was spread for supper, and on whose mighty hearth a great fire of logs, freshly replenished, flamed and flared. I pray you, be seated and sup how you please. You will, I trust, excuse me, that I do not join you, but I have dined already, and I do not sup. By the time I had finished my supper, I had had an opportunity of observing him, and found him of a very marked physiognomy. His face was a strong, a very strong aquiline, with high bridge of the thin nose and peculiarly arched nostrils, with lofty domed forehead and hair growing scantily around the temples, but profusely elsewhere. His eyebrows were very massive, almost meeting over the nose, and with bushy hair that seemed to curl in its own profusion. The mouth, so far as I could see it under the heavy moustache, was fixed and rather cruel-looking, with peculiarly sharp white teeth. These protruded over the lips, whose remarkable ruddiness showed astonishing vitality in a man of his years. For the rest, his ears were pale, and at the tops extremely pointed, the chin was broad and strong, and the cheeks firm, though thin. The general effect was one of extraordinary pallor, As the Count leaned over me and his hands touched me, I could not repress a shudder. It may have been that his breath was rank, but a horrible feeling of nausea came over me, which, do what I would, I I could not conceal. The Count, evidently noticing it, drew back, and with a grim sort of smile, which showed more than he had yet done, his protuberant teeth, sat himself down again on his own side of the fireplace. We were both silent for a while. And as I looked toward the window, I saw the first dim streak of the dawn coming. There seemed a strange stillness over everything. But as I listened, I heard, as if from down below in the valley, the howling of many wolves. The Count's eyes gleamed, and he said, Listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. Seeing, I suppose, some expression in my face strange to him, he added, Ah, sir, you dwellers in the city cannot enter into the feelings of the hunter. Then he rose and said, But you must be tired. Your bedroom is all ready, and tomorrow you shall sleep as late as you will. I have to be away till the afternoon. So sleep well and dream well. Courteous bow, he opened for me himself the door to the octagonal room, and I entered my bedroom.
0: This has been Harper Audio. Harper Collins is the copyright owner of this recording and has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright laws to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of HarperCollins Publishers, Inc. To order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214 or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio is provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly and & Associates. Network connectivity for the Internet multicasting service is provided by UUNet Technologies and MFS Datanets.